From Liangjiahe, a village on the barren lowest plateau in northwest China, to Zhongnanhai, the center of China's top leadership in Beijing. Xi Jinping has served in various posts at different levels of the government across China, starting in his early years as a junior village official to governing as China's top leader. What's he like as an individual and as a leader? How have his work experiences from earlier decades been influencing his leadership as the national leader? What are some of the core principles that have guided his decisions and actions? I consider myself a relatively hard-working person. I know very well that people's biggest concerns are education, employment, income. We can't pursue development through destructive methods, depleting the legacies from our ancestors while exhausting the options for our future generations. The Stories of Xi Jinping podcast series shares the life and work experiences of Xi Jinping and explores the formation of his governing principles, philosophy, beliefs, among others. Getting to know Xi's thoughts on national governance and how his leadership took shape may help you better understand China's path, governance and principles. You can follow the Stories of Xi Jinping podcast series on all major podcast platforms. Examining the events that impact and shape China and the rest of the world. This is the Beijing Hour, one hour of news and information brought to you every weekday. Now here's your host. Shane Bigham with you on this Wednesday, December 13th, 2023. You're listening to the Beijing Hour, coming to you live from the Chinese capital. On today's program, China and Vietnam have issued a joint statement on strengthening bilateral ties amid the Chinese president's state visit to the Southeast Asian country. The UN Climate Conference in Dubai has adopted first-of-its-kind agreement calling on the world to move on from fossil fuels. And British lawmakers have voted in favor of a contentious plan that would see asylum seekers deported to Rwanda. In business, the Asian Development Bank upgrades its economic forecast. In sports, an embarrassing Champions League finish for Manchester United. In culture and entertainment, China's top internet trending terms for 2023. Now checking the day's top stories. China and Vietnam have released a joint statement on further strengthening their comprehensive strategic cooperative partnership. The two sides agreed to build a China-Vietnam community with a shared future with strategic significance during a state visit by Chinese President Xi Jinping. They agreed to deepen cooperation in national defense, security, the economy, green development, and cultural exchanges. The two countries will also improve high-level diplomacy between their militaries. They also agreed to strengthen investment cooperation in agriculture, infrastructure, energy, the digital economy, and green development. General Secretary Xi Jinping of the Communist Party of China's Central Committee and his Vietnamese counterpart Nguyen Phu Trong have met representatives of youth and friends from the two countries in Hanoi. Uh, earlier during a state visit, Xi Jinping, who is also the Chinese president, met Vietnamese President Pho Van Tong and expressed China's willingness to work with Vietnam for the outcomes of the China-Vietnam community with a shared future to benefit people of the two countries. During separate meetings with Vietnamese Prime Minister Phan Minh Chin and National 
National Assembly Chairman Vuong Dinhui. Uh, President Xi said bilateral relations are extraordinary in scope and depth and called on the two countries to step up cooperation in various fields. Now, as part of the visit, Xi Jinping also laid a wreath at the Ho Chi Minh Mausoleum in Hanoi uh, earlier Wednesday. Uh, Dong Shui has more. Chinese President Xi Jinping earlier laid a wreath at the Ho Chi Minh Mausoleum in the center of Hanoi, showing his respects to this Vietnamese revolutionary leader, also dubbed as the father of modern Vietnam. Well, China and Vietnam are among the five remaining socialist countries in the world. The schedule continued with his meetings with the President Vu Van Shan, the, uh, as well as the Congressional President and the Prime Minister. Well, during his meeting with the General Secretary of the Communist Party of Vietnam uh, Central Committee, Ran Fu Chong, President Xi Jinping, said China regards its relations with Vietnam as a priority in its neighborhood diplomacy. Well, the two sides have announced the new positioning of relations between the two parties and the countries and agreed to build a China-Vietnam community with a shared future. Well, this community carries strategic significance founded on deepening the comprehensive strategic cooperation partnership between the two sides and more than 30 cooperation documents were signed uh, under China's Belt and Road Initiative covering the digital economy transportation and regional cooperation and experts say that uh, ideologically Vietnam is close to Beijing and it is run by a communist party with strong ties to China and these kind of gestures reflect that Vietnam still sees China as uh, its most important partner that was Dong Shui reporting from Hanoi. The wife of Chinese President Xi Jinping has visited Vietnam National University, accompanied by the wife of the Vietnamese president. Peng Liuan spoke with Vietnamese students and said language serves as the bridge for communication and expressed her hopes that the students can improve their Chinese proficiency to better understand China and promote cultural exchange and friendship between the two countries. Earlier, Professor Peng visited the Vietnamese Women's Museum and said China and Vietnam can strengthen exchanges and mutual learning to help more women change their lives and realize their personal value. The city of Dongxing on the Chinese side of the China-Vietnam border used to serve as a hub for overseas Chinese to send mail back home. Vietnam offered significant support for the mail to pass through when other routes became unavailable. Liao Jiaxin has more. A small building with Nanyang-style architecture stands as a testament to the historical memory of Dongxing Post Road, where time slows down capturing an important chapter in the culture of Qiaopi. Qiaopi is a historical form of mail that serves as a letter and remittance that Chinese overseas send back to China via financial or postal institutions. After the Pacific War broke out in 1942, the entirety of Southeast Asia fell. All the letters from Hong Kong to Shantou were interrupted. We overseas Chinese risked our lives to open up this new route. During China's wall of resistance against the Japanese aggression, Xiaopi originating from Vietnam, Thailand, Indonesia, Malaysia, and various other locales were transported near the China-Vietnam border. While this passage saved a large number of Chinese lives during the war and famine, and the road known locally as the Lifeline also bears the witness to the mutual support and profound friendship between China and Vietnam. In an era where logistics and transfers are fast and convenient, the month-long journey for letters and supplies 
seems unimaginable. Letters filled with thoughts and responsibilities were placed in small bamboo baskets and sent to thousands of households. Lane believes the road embraces the ideals of life and friendship, and has left a valuable legacy for the development of China-Vietnam relations. That was Liu Jiaxin with the story of China-Vietnam ties in ancient times. Policymakers in China have pledged more efforts to sustain the country's economic recovery next year. The Central Economic Work Conference addressed challenges and laid out priorities for the coming year. Zhang Chuning spoke with economist Hong Hao uh, to run us through some of the main points. Advancing progress while ensuring stability was the general principle underscored at the Central Economic Work Conference hosted on Wednesday. One of the key takeaways from the meeting signals China's commitment to spurring domestic demand, bolstering the economic recovery in 2024, and tackling challenges like insufficient demand, weak social expectations, and overcapacity in certain industries. Officials say they will implement a proactive fiscal policy and a prudent monetary policy, which they describe as flexible, moderate, precise, and effective. Analysts see ample room for fiscal stimulus and accommodative monetary policies in the coming year, given the carefully measured policies implemented this year. Official interest rate minus the inflation rate that give you the real interest rate is about 3%. Um, in terms of real interest rate, China is actually one of the higher uh, interest rate in the, in the world uh, compared to the other countries, you know, because they have much higher inflation. Uh, so I think you know the monetary policy can get more uh, accommodative uh, in the coming in the coming uh, months, uh, and also interest rate cuts and triple cuts are on the cards. Next year, a new round of fiscal, financial, and institutional tax reforms is scheduled, with a focus on encouraging the expansion of venture capital and equity investment. Addressing concerns about China's housing sector, the government pledged to speed up a new model of real estate development and manage the resolution of local debt risks. The meeting also outlined the path forward for sustained opening up, emphasizing the reinforcement of industrial and supply chain resilience while fostering the development of private firms. You know, it emphasized on giving uh, equal access uh, to financing uh, for all uh, real estate developers, regardless of ownership. Uh, it's um, uh, emphasizing on, you know, opening uh, up uh, the uh, business sector to make it easier uh, for the foreign uh, businessmen to come do business in China. So I think all in all, you know, it's uh, once again, I think overall it's a satisfactory uh, uh, meeting. Uh, giving guidance for next year and also for the for the way forward. And the meeting also touched upon the improvement of people's livelihood. It says it was going to accelerate the construction of affordable housing and to ensure the stable and secure supply of food and other agricultural products. That was Jun Chuning reporting. December 13th marks the National Memorial Day for the victims of the Nanjing Massacre. The eastern Chinese city observed a moment of silence and then sounded sirens across the city. China's national flag was uh, flown at half-staff in front of the crowd, which included massacre survivors, local students, and foreign friends. In Beijing, students and teachers gathered at the Museum of the Chinese People's War of Resistance Against Japanese Aggression to mark the occasion. Huang Yue reports. A moment of silence. College students and teachers from the Chinese capital stand in front of the Museum of the Chinese People's War of Resistance Against Japanese Aggression, holding chrysanthemums to mourn the compatriots killed in the Nanjing Massacre in 1937.
The students recite a prose poem, vowing not to forget history, cherish the hard-won peace, and study hard for a better future. They also take turns to lay flowers below giant statues of soldiers who made ultimate sacrifice during the Second Sino-Japanese War and World War II. Beijing issued an alert for snowstorm, warning that blizzards will hit the capital city. But students and teachers still braved the cold and came to pay tribute to the national heroes and mourn the victims of the war. Seeing these historical photographs, I feel like seeing the horrific war, which makes me cherish the current peaceful life even more. As a student, what I can do is to carry on the spirit of our predecessors and work hard for a better future. We are living in a peaceful country rather than a peaceful world. Some regions and countries in the world are still facing conflicts and wars. As the young generation, I'm grateful for the peace I have now, and I will work hard to contribute to world peace. Located near the Marco Polo Bridge, where the invasion by the Japanese troops started in Beijing, the Museum of the Chinese People's War of Resistance Against Japanese Aggression now has become an important education center in China for people to learn the history. In addition to exhibitions, our staff also attend schools and communities recount to the public their history. We also spend a lot of time visiting and interviewing veterans, working hard to keep the records. On December the 13th, 1937, the Japanese troops invaded Nanjing in East China and killed more than 300,000 civilians and unarmed soldiers over six weeks. In 2014, China officially designated December the 13th as the National Memorial Day to remember and mourn the victims. That was Huang Yue reporting. Coming up, climate delegates in Dubai urge the world to move on from fossil fuels. Dive into news like never before with Deep Dive, the podcast from CGTN Radio. Join our global reporters for captivating stories and thought-provoking conversations. Search Deep Dive on your favorite podcast platforms and get ready to dive in. Thirteen minutes past the hour now. The COP 28s adopted a new deal calling on all countries to move away from using fossil fuels. The text from the UN Climate Conference recognizes the need for deep, rapid, and sustained、uh, reductions if humanity is to limit temperature rises to 1.5 degrees Celsius. The COP 28 president hailed the deal, approved by almost 200 countries, as an historic package of measures. The climate conference stretched beyond its schedule after a pre. Previous draft that avoided mentioning phasing out fossil fuels caused a rift among delegates. Yasser Hakim reports from Dubai. You've got over 200 countries here, and, and naturally, you cannot get a, a total satisfaction from it. But at least you get a unanimous vote on it, which means that it's a positive way forward. It's in the right direction, like I've been told by several of the officials here.、Uh, it cannot satisfy everyone, but at least there are issues that have been addressed, and and most importantly, obviously, is、uh, tripling the renewable energy production, which will help in reducing. The dependence on fossil fuel. So there has been issues that have been addressed. There is a move forward. Why the COP itself has been extended beyond the deadline? Developed nations have been pushing and lobbying very strongly to put the word phase out. Now it wasn't in the first text. 
uh, and oil producing countries, developing nations have been trying to avoid using the word phase out. But at the end, the, the word transitioning away has been uh, accepted by both sides. So those who did not want phase out believe that transitioning away from fossil fuels would be a more appropriate term. And those who wanted phase out believe have also agreed that this could be the right direction forward. That was Yasser Hakim reporting from COP28. And as COP28 delegates work for a deal on climate actions in Dubai, discussions have also been taking place on various levels in the host city to limit climate change. One restaurant's announced plans to become carbon neutral. And it's held as the most sustainable kitchen in the UAE. Jim Stemman was there. Dubai is set to host more restaurants per capita than New York City and catering to palates as diverse as the Emirates itself. According to government data, this place is home to some 13,000 F&B outlets relying heavily on overseas ingredients, which of course has an impact on their carbon footprint. Based in Dubai's financial center, Boca tries to source as many ingredients as possible locally and has reduced the use of high carbon footprint meat like beef while measuring sustainability across the entire operation, even staff transport. We have a thousand and one of things to do on a daily basis in restaurants. So if it's not embedded as a systematic process in the individuals, then it's meant to stay as a, as, as a box-ticking exercise or a one-off uh, task that you will soon forget. And these efforts are paying off, with Boca receiving the top prize at the Gulf Sustainability Awards and held the UAE's most sustainable kitchen. As of now, the restaurant sits on five years of environmental data, even inviting an independent ESG firm to measure how well it's doing. So we received a list of probably a thousand items, and we started looking at them and categorizing them, you know, segregating them into like uh, dairy products. And even with dairy, you can segregate into cheese, uh, milk, uh, butter, and, and so on. There is a difference in the carbon footprint of each one of those. The good thing about, about Omar and what they do is that they try to get almost all what they have, all what they use in the restaurant from local sources. But I mean, sometimes you cannot. You still have to get something from outside. And when that's not possible, the team tries to source from neighboring countries such as Saudi Arabia and Oman, while its coffee comes from just across the Red Sea, offering a blueprint for how other UAE restaurants can help the country reach net zero by 2050, which will require a significant cultural change. So Omar, I don't know how, but accidentally found me. Genetically, almost all coffee of the world comes from Ethiopia. We were the closest that was sourcing from the region and supplying. So it was a, a perfect marriage. And while shipping coffee via Djibouti takes about a week, Boca's greatest challenge is balancing the three P's of sustainability, people, planet, and profit. So in order for us to run a sustainable operation while still maintaining sound business models and uh, a successful uh, operation, in this extremely competitive market, I think will constantly, will always be a big challenge for us. A balancing act that, at least for this restaurant, starts with the idea that you cannot change what you do not measure. That was Jim Stenman on how a restaurant in Dubai is trying to achieve sustainability. 
United Nations General Assembly's adopted a resolution calling for an immediate ceasefire in Gaza. The resolution also demands the immediate and unconditional release of all hostages and ensuring humanitarian access. It says all parties should comply with their obligations under international law. Jody Jacobs has more from UN headquarters. This latest resolution calls for an immediate humanitarian ceasefire in the Israel-Hamas conflict. Applause erupted in the walls of the General Assembly when the result was announced. Several member states co-signed the document, including China. General Assembly President Dennis Francis underscored the urgency to bring an end to the suffering of innocent civilians. This emergency special session has been resumed. We certainly cannot continue in this way without even the possibility, let alone the prospect, for a meaningful solution. As President of the General Assembly, I am committed to supporting any and all efforts to put an end to the bloodshed and the psychological torture of the people in Gaza. Egypt, which tabled the resolution, said it was a very simple, clear and explicit text and long overdue, saying the killings need to stop. It says civilian deaths have surpassed 18,000 and the world cannot just watch. In a last-ditch attempt, both the United States and Austria pushed for amendments to the resolution. The United States says while it supported components of the resolution, it insisted that the text include condemnation of Hamas. Israel decried the entire text before the assembly, going as far as calling the United Nations irrelevant. Resolutions by the General Assembly are not legally binding, but they do carry immense moral weight often representing the collective resolve of UN member states. And as the death toll in Gaza rises, so too the calls for an immediate ceasefire. ANWA, the UN's aid agency in Gaza, has already written to the President of the General Assembly, warning that the agency's ability to implement its mandate is severely limited. That was Jody Jacobs in New York. The UN Relief Agency for Palestine says tens of thousands of people in Gaza are desperate for food, water, shelter and health care. Residents in the enclave say they're also facing high prices amid shortages. Food prices before the conflict were basically affordable, but now things are different. People with no money have to starve. The humanitarian supplies can't cover everyone. It's really difficult here. I have a family of nine, and we're having trouble getting enough gas, food, and drinking water. There's little for us to eat. I spent 10 shackles for a little tin of canned meat. Before, it was three shackles. I can barely afford onions after buying this canned meat, which will be divided into seven portions to make a small sandwich for each person. That's just not enough at all. More people are fleeing to the border town of Rafah in neighboring Egypt as Israeli military attacks continue in parts of Gaza. More aid trucks are heading toward Gaza through the Rafah border crossing and a new checkpoint at Karim Shalom. U.S. President Joe Biden says or said at a fundraiser for his re-election that Israel risks losing international support due to its indiscriminate bombing in Gaza. Uh, Biden added that he's made it clear to Israel that the safety of innocent Palestinians is still of great concern. He says the actions taken by the Israeli side must be consistent with attempting to do everything possible to prevent innocent Palestinian civilians from being hurt or killed. 
Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky has visited the White House seeking more military aid for Ukraine during its conflict with Russia. Earlier, Zelensky also met members of Congress. Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell said it's uh, practically impossible to pass a supplemental funding bill for Ukraine before Christmas. Nathan King has the story. It's very solemn Vladimir Zelensky here in Washington, essentially doing the rounds both on Capitol Hill and here at the White House. First of all, on Capitol Hill, he knows that they control the purse strings, the U.S. Congress, and he really wants the $50 billion plus uh, of aid uh, that the White House wants for next year uh, in its combat uh, with Russia. He essentially told uh, lawmakers that without this aid, Ukraine could lose. Essentially, is up to Congress. They are about to go home for Christmas. They really want this done uh, by the end of the year. But it's tied up uh, with potential immigration reform here in the U.S. Biden says uh, he's ready to sort of compromise, but thinks the whole thing is being held hostage. So what's the likelihood of a deal before the end of the year? Very unlikely. Congress is about to go home. Uh, and essentially, if it gets kicked into January, it becomes part of the whole big budget negotiations and a potential government shutdown. There's also another problem. It's an election year and polling, especially in Republicans, puts about half of those potential voters against any more aid to Ukraine. That was Nathan King in Washington. Coming up, British lawmakers vote in favor of a contentious deportation plan. Climate Watch is CGTN Radio's new podcast focusing on the impact of climate change. We have conversations with people on the front line about this critical issue. Listen to Climate Watch on all major podcast platforms and join us in taking action to save the planet we call home. 24 minutes past the hour, British lawmakers have voted in favor of a contentious plan that'll deport some asylum seekers to Rwanda. The UK's top court ruled the initial plan unlawful last month. The revision faced opposition from members of Prime Minister Rishi Sunak's party who believe the legislation's not tough enough. Ollie Barrett reports. This was a crucial moment for UK Prime Minister Rishi Sunak. If he'd lost the vote in Parliament, it would have led to questions about the future of his leadership. But this victory is not the end of the story for him and his Conservative Party, which is divided on this issue. Some lawmakers hope to toughen the legislation as it makes its way through Parliament in the coming months. Other Conservatives say if the plan is toughened any further, it could breach international law and they would have to withdraw their support. The bill voted on by lawmakers seeks to declare Rwanda a safe country to send asylum seekers to and to try and reduce the likelihood of legal challenges. The UK is paying Kigali hundreds of millions of dollars for the agreement, but no flights with asylum seekers on board have left for processing in Rwanda so far. The opposition Labour Party says the plan is a gimmick and would scrap it if it wins the next general election. The government insists the plan could act as a key deterrent against illegal immigration. That was Ollie Barrett reporting. Finnish Prime Minister Pateri Orpo says the government's decided to reopen two of the eight land crossing points on its border with Russia later this week. We are opening one point in southeast Finland and one in North Karelia. Without lifting the restrictions, we cannot verify whether there will be a change for the better. 
If the phenomenon continues, we will close these border crossing points. Orpo says the closure stopped the facilitated migration on the eastern border of Finland. The Finnish government closed all of its eastern border crossings last month over concerns amid a sudden influx of migrants. The two border crossings will accept applications for international protection and remain open until January 14th. All six other land crossings will remain closed. Egypt has concluded three days of voting in its presidential election, and vote counting is now underway. Officials from the National Election Authority say the number of citizens casting ballots on the third day was unexpectedly high. The final result scheduled to be announced on December 18th unless there is a runoff round, which will postpone the announcement date to January. Four candidates are competing, including incumbent President Abdel Fattah el-Sisi. The president's running for a third term in office as allowed by Constitution amendments in 2019, which also extended the presidential term to six years. He won both the 2014 and 2018 elections with overwhelming majorities. Nicaraguan officials are hailing the results uh, since the country resumed diplomatic relations with China two years ago. Uh, Lorena Ortega is the advisor on investment, trade and international cooperation to the Nicaraguan president. He says the two countries have strengthened cooperation on infrastructure. We already have a series of important projects for the development of our country, such as road infrastructure projects, renewable energy projects, and logistics projects that we will develop in the coming years. 500 buses produced by Chinese enterprises arrived in Nicaragua this year to help with efforts to upgrade the country's public transport system. Affordable housing projects aided by Chinese companies have also started. The two countries also signed a free trade agreement in August to enhance bilateral economic and trade cooperation. At 28 minutes past the hour, meteorologists have issued an orange alert for blizzards in Beijing. The capital city will see moderate snowfall on Thursday with the high of minus two. Kindergartens and schools were closed on Wednesday. Uh, snowfalls in the forecast for much of northern China. While elsewhere, Tokyo is five degrees overnight. It'll be overcast in 14 on Thursday. Islamabad will be cloudy in six tonight, then overcast in 22. Bangkok's down to 26 degrees, then overcast in 34 on Thursday. In Africa, Nairobi is getting a slight rain and 24 degrees. And finally to Oceania, Sydney's at 24 this evening. Tomorrow's overcast with a high of 37. It's time for a short break. So far this hour, China and Vietnam have issued a joint statement on strengthening bilateral ties amid the Chinese president's state visit to that Southeast Asian country. The UN Climate Conference in Dubai has adopted first-of-its-kind agreement calling on uh, the world to move on from fossil fuels. And British lawmakers have voted in favor of a contentious deportation plan. Shane Begum with you. Stay with us here on the Beijing Hour. Experience the musical classics of the East. Mingle with the masters of Chinese music. Music Talks. Witness the sound of antiquity and modernity. Examining the events that impact and shape China and the rest of the world. This is the Beijing Hour, one hour of news and information brought to you every weekday. Now here's your host. Shane Bigham with you on this Wednesday. Still to come, 
In business, the Asian Development Bank upgrades its economic forecast. In sports, an embarrassing Champions League finish for Manchester United. In culture and entertainment, China's top internet trending terms for 2023. To contact us, you can email radio at cgtn.com or follow our X account, formerly Twitter, at CGTN Radio. First of all, with the day's headline news, here's Zhu Tianlu. Thank you, Shane. China and Vietnam have released a joint statement on further strengthening their comprehensive strategic cooperative partnership. The two sides agreed to build a China-Vietnam community with a shared future with strategic significance during a state visit by Chinese President Xi Jinping. They agreed to deepen cooperation in national defense, security, the economy, green development and cultural exchanges. The two countries will also improve high-level diplomacy between their militaries. They also agreed to strengthen investment cooperation in agriculture, infrastructure, energy, the digital economy and green development. Countries attending the COP28 climate conference have agreed on a new deal after days of negotiations. For the first time, the deal calls on all countries to transition away from the use of fossil fuels but not to fade them out, as demanded by many many governments. The deal recognizes the need for deep, rapid and sustained reductions of oil, gas and coal if humanity is to limit temperature rises to 1.5 degrees Celsius. The UN General Assembly has voted overwhelmingly to adopt a resolution demanding an immediate humanitarian ceasefire in Gaza. The vote was 153 in favor, 10 against and 23 abstentions, with both the United States and Israel among those opposing the resolution. General Assembly President Dennis Francis says the suffering of innocent civilians must end. I used my recent attendance at the Doha Forum and every other platform I can to encourage cooperation among states with the same singular goal in mind, to make peace for all. In the name of humanity, I ask you all once again, stop this violence now. I thank you. The resolution also demands the immediate and unconditional release of all hostages and ensuring humanitarian access. Riyad Mansour is the permanent observer of the State of Palestine to the UN. He says it is a collective duty for the international community to work towards the goal of ending the humanitarian crisis and saving lives. We will not rest until we see compliance of Israel with this demand from the General Assembly so that we can see a ceasefire in place, so that we can move into the massive you know, uh, amount of truckloads of uh, assistance, humanitarian assistance of food, medicine, water, and fuel in order to run the hospitals, to, to run the plants for desalination, and all needs of the things that we need, uh, our people to need for survival. Both the Palestinian presidency and Hamas have welcomed the demand for the humanitarian ceasefire. They also called for global efforts to oblige Israel to abide by the resolution.
A new route near the Rafah border crossing has opened for trucks to deliver aid into Gaza. A Red Crescent official says 88 trucks have traveled from Egypt to the Karem Shalom crossing for checks. Aid officials say the new passage should allow for the processing of more trucks, including some that come from Jordan for the first time since the start of the conflict in Gaza. Supplies have been entering Gaza through the Rafah crossing that borders Egypt. Beijing has issued an orange alert for blizzards as the Chinese capital braces itself for icy conditions in the coming days. Kindergartens and schools in the city have temporarily closed and all classes have been moved online. The Meteorological Authority is also advising employers to implement flexible working hours in anticipation of bad weather. Firefighters in New York City say they didn't find anybody trapped in the rubble of the collapsed corner of a seven-story apartment building in the Bronx. No victims have been found, but two people suffered minor injuries while evacuating the damaged building. Ivan Mobley witnessed the collapse of the building. We're so close to home, so I figured if this building is falling down, let me check my building. Sonia Layson has lived in the area for two decades. She went to the building's ground floor to see her hairdresser, who's a tenant of the building. cried so much, you know, and I tried to call and I couldn't get any answer, but then finally she called me back and she said that they were okay. The fire department says it has evacuated everyone from the partially collapsed building, which has 47 residential units and six businesses. Investigation into the collapse is still underway. Thank you very much. That was Jutian Liu with Headline News. This is Shane Begum in the Chinese capital. Coming up in business, the Asian Development Bank upgrades its economic forecast. wondered what's actually going on in Africa through the perspective of an African? How are things really going between China and Africa? What's the narrative of this relationship? Well, get a perspective with China-Africa Talk. Hear from African diplomats, entrepreneurs, academics, Chinese natives and more. Get on our wavelength every week to find out what's real with China-Africa Talk. Find us on your favorite podcast. We'll see you there. 37 past the hour now. Turning to business and the Chinese mainland markets closed lower. Timothy Pope has more. The uh, initial statements we've seen following the Chinese government's Central Economic Work Conference didn't seem to lift market sentiment today. Uh, Investors had been hoping to see some mention of stimulus measures, but the uh, closest they really got was a statement that China will maintain reasonable and sufficient liquidity. Now, while the tone of the comments still signalled, obviously, an intention to support economic growth and bolster the recovery uh, and domestic demand as well, uh, investors didn't seem to find too much to get excited about the Shanghai Composite Index declined by 1.2%, uh, snapping a three-day winning streak, while the uh, Shenzhen Component Index uh, shed more than 1.5%. There was also no specific mention made of challenges facing the property sector. Uh, that's going to require considerable attention and resources uh, from the government over the next 12 months. Uh, today, property developer stocks were among the biggest decliners. Uh, sub-index tracking that sector was down by 2.8%. Liquor stocks were also trading lower. Uh, Big distillers are often seen as bellwether stocks for China's consumer sector. And uh, there's none bigger than Guizhou Maotai. It shed uh, 3%. That was Timothy Pope in Shanghai. In Hong Kong, the Hang Seng Index dropped by nine-tenths of a percent. In Japan, the Nikkei rose over three-tenths of a percent. 
The Asian Development Bank has raised its economic forecast for developing economies in Asia. The bank forecasts China's economy to expand 5.2% this year, compared with the previous forecast of 4.9%. And it's raised its growth outlook for India to 6.7%, up from 6.3%, following faster-than-expected expansion in the third quarter. The bank lowered Asia's inflation outlook for this year to 3.5% from an earlier projection of 3.6%. Trade volume between China and Vietnam hit over 200 billion U.S. dollars in the first 11 months of this year, up 3.6 percent. The amount accounts for a quarter of China's total trade with the Association of Southeast Asian Nations, or ASEAN countries. In November alone, the trade volume reached over 22 billion U.S. dollars, hitting a historic monthly record high. China's been Vietnam's largest trading partner for years, and Vietnam is China's largest trading partner within ASEAN, with bilateral trade volume exceeding 200 billion U.S. dollars for two consecutive years now. China's top market regulators released a revised regulation on industrial standards to improve the business environment. The new regulation forbids governments from using industrial standards to issue all kinds of licenses and certifications that would restrict market competition. The regulation will take effect in June of next year. Argentina's new government says it'll weaken the value of its currency by more than 50% against the U.S. dollar. It's part of the economic shock therapy that President Javier Millet says the country needs to fix its worst crisis in decades. The new government also announced deep cuts to public spending. They include a reduction in fuel and transport subsidies and freezing spending on some major government contracts and advertising. Argentina's battling soaring inflation with prices rising by around 150% over the past year. It's also struggled with low cash reserves and high government debt, while 40% of the population is living below the poverty line. U.S. inflation fell to 3.1% in November, down a tenth of a point from the previous month. Owen Fairclough has more. It may be just a fraction, but in the fight to tame inflation, the latest numbers are another sign for policymakers that they're finally winning the battle. Inflation in November dropped to 3.1% on an annual basis from 3.2% in October. And that's largely due to a significant drop in fuel price inflation, down nearly 10%. The average US gas price is now around $3.15 a gallon, but that's nevertheless nearly $2 less than back in the summer of 2022 when inflation was running out of control. The cost of food bought in places like grocery stores is also under control, but the price of eating out rose more than 5%, and the cost of transportation services grew more than 10%. And so it's individual metrics like those that suggest to some policymakers there's still some work to do to chase inflation out of the broader economy. But at just over 3%, core inflation is now near the 2% mark, that the U.S. central bank, the Federal Reserve, targets by raising or lowering interest rates. And that's one reason why many economists expect the Fed to leave interest rates on hold on Wednesday after hiking them dramatically over the past year or so. And that was Owen Faircloth reporting. A new air freight route has officially opened between Chongqing and London. The route marks the first direct air cargo route linking the Chinese municipality and the United Kingdom. Headquartered at London Stansted Airport, the route is operational three times a week. The route mainly transports cross-border e-commerce goods.
European aircraft manufacturer Airbus says China will become the world's largest aviation services market by 2042. It says the country is set to overtake Europe and North America with its market value climbing to over 54 billion U.S. dollars. It predicts that China's demand for pilots, technicians and cabin crew will more than double from 212,000 jobs this year to 561,000 in 2042. The price of goods and services has gone up in the U.S. and uh, so has the average tip. Uh, some call it tip inflation and many customers say they're reaching their tipping point. Isabella Diaz has more. Tipping in the U.S. has usually been a practice reserved mostly for waiters and waitresses, bartenders and beauticians. But in recent years, it seems more businesses and service providers expect a tip upon transaction. According to Pew Research, 72% of U.S. adults say tipping is expected in more places than it was just five years ago. Except most U.S. consumers say it's not. Whether it's adding an extra 10% for an Uber driver or tacking on an additional $5 for a food delivery courier, most say they've had enough. A summer survey by Bankrate found 66% of U.S. adults had a negative view of tipping, with one in three saying tipping culture has gotten out of control. Just last month, online food delivery platform DoorDash sparked controversy when its app warned customers if they skip the tip, drivers may skip their order. And then there's service charges. Restaurants have been including them for a while, but those service charges have grown since the COVID-19 pandemic. With COVID cases declining, businesses have kept the charges. Some even added more. And while restaurants vary on what exactly those service charges go toward, there's a consensus among U.S. consumers that those extra charges have to go. Economists say one reason for tip fatigue is cashless payment apps. According to data from credit card processor Square, nearly 75% of remote transactions for food and beverage now prompt the customer to leave a tip. Why the big push? One financial services industry expert says it's because app makers get a cut of the total, incentivizing them to add the tipping option. Even when users do decide to tip, how much is too much versus just the right amount? According to Statista, a third of Americans say the sweet spot is somewhere between 16 and 20 percent. That was Isabella Diaz on so-called tip inflation in the United States. An offshore wind power project with an installed capacity of a million kilowatts has started operation in southern China's richest economic region. Located in Guangdong province, it's the largest wind power project in the Greater Bay Area. Gao Ligang with China General Nuclear Power Corporation says the project can reduce a great amount of carbon dioxide emissions. The project can provide about 3 billion kilowatt hours of clean electricity every year, equivalently saving about 1 million tons of standard coal. The successful commissioning of the 1 million kilowatt offshore wind power plant in Huizhou port will contribute to the economic and social development of the Guangdong, Hong Kong, Macau, Greater Bay Area and provide clean energy assistance to serve the national strategy for implementing carbon peaking and carbon neutrality goals. According to the Chinese Academy of Engineering, the total installed capacity of offshore wind power in China reached nearly 32 million kilowatts as of September. That's almost half of the world total offshore wind power capacity. You're listening to the Beijing Hour. Coming up in sports, an embarrassing Champions League finish for Man United. 
Sideline Story brings you all things sports related. The hottest topics, latest events, juiciest stories, all with a very personal take. Subscribe to Sideline Story Podcast for heated sports discussions covering events that are happening in China and around the world. 46 past the hour now. Turning to sports, here's Yang Guang. Thank you, Shane. In European football, Manchester United suffered an embarrassingly early exit from the Champions League after a 1-0 loss to Bayern Munich. Kingsley Coman's 70th-minute goal ended United's slim chances of advancing to the knockout stage and delivered the latest blow in an ever-worsening season for Eric Ten Hag. The Dutch coach attributed the defeat to injuries. Yeah, so why did this happen? Huh? I would say it's a symbol today and we have to make subs and be losing players, players who are very decisive for our game, who can make the difference. And I think that was in many games also the, the case in this campaign that we not always had the players available who wanted to play. And yeah, that's definitely a part, but don't see there's an excuse. The 12th defeat in all competitions this season means United could not even secure the safety net of a place in the Europa League after finishing bottom of Group A. Copenhagen advanced to the round of 16 behind Group winner Bayern after beating Galatasaray 1-0. Elsewhere, Dani Ceballo scored late for Real Madrid to come from behind to beat Union Berlin 3-2 and complete a perfect Champions League group stage. Head coach Carlo Ancelotti is happy about the team's consistency in the competition. We have done a very good group stage in this first half of the season. So far, we have done things very well, playing with continuity. I think our quality has improved compared to who we started the season. Meantime, Real Sociedad kept an impressive return to Europe's elite by winning its group for the first time following a goalless draw with Inter Milan. Napoli, Arsenal and Eindhoven also progressed after Tuesday's action. The Chinese men's national football team has unveiled a 26-player roster for the upcoming Asian Cup in Qatar. Team China head coach Alexander Yankovic has called up a full-strength team, including Wu Lei, Wu Xi and Wei Shihao. Naturalized forward Ai Kusen is not on the list. 22-year-old goalkeeper Jian Tao from Chengdu Romcheng is the only newcomer for the team. Seven of the players participated in the last Asian Cup in the UAE. Jankovic and his players will assemble on Sunday for a training camp in Shanghai. The Chinese team is grouped with host Qatar as well as Tajikistan and Lebanon and is set to play its opening match against the Tajikistan on January 13th. Italian defender Giorgio Chiellini has retired from professional football after a 22-year career. Los Angeles FC Chiellini's club for the past one and a half seasons announced the 39-year-old's decision. Chiellini spent 17 years at Juventus before joining the MLS side. He won nine consecutive Serie A titles with the Italian powerhouse. He also won the Euro 2020 title with Italy. Chiellini helped LAFC reach the MLS Cup championship game last weekend, falling to Columbus 2-1. Reports say Chiellini is considering a new career in coaching or management. 
Turkish authorities have arrested the president of a top-flight football club after he punched a referee in the face at the end of a Super League match. Ankara Zoo president Farouk Kuja attacked a game official on the pitch late Monday after the final whistle of a one-all draw with the Rizespor. Kuja has resigned, uh, resigned from the club over the incident. Earlier, the Turkish Football Federation suspended all league games after an emergency meeting held to discuss the violence. The referee who fell to the ground was also kicked in a melee that occurred when fans also invaded pitch after Rizespo scored a last-minute equaliser. Paris organizers say the food on offer during the Olympic Games next year will be 60% vegetarian. The organizing committee provided a sneak preview of what will be on the plates of athletes and the spectators, with dishes including meat-free burgers, quinoa salads, and a falafel. Paris 2024 president Tony Istanga says the vegan heavy menu is part of the organizers' plan to reduce carbon levels for the Games. Since the beginning of Paris 2024, we try to achieve uh, the best vision in terms of how we can avoid and reduce the carbon footprint of the delivery of uh, Paris 2024. The ambition is very high because uh, the objective is to reduce by half the carbon footprint. And uh, food is uh, definitely uh, a very important milestone in the way to reduce the carbon footprint. During the Games, Paris 2024 will be responsible for serving more than 13 million meals. 80% of all dishes will be made from produce sourced in France. In the NBA, Luka Doncic put up another unstoppable attacking display with 33 points and 17 assists as his Dallas Mavericks beat LA Lakers 127-125. Anthony Davis and LeBron James combined for 70 points, but that was not enough as Dallas made 21 baskets from the three-point line. In other game highlights, Devin Booker scored 32 points, Bradley Beal added 16 in his return from a back injury, and the Phoenix Suns held on late to beat the Golden State Warriors 119-116. Golden State's Draymond Green was ejected in the third quarter after receiving a flagrant two-foul for hitting Yusuf Nurkic in the face. The Los Angeles Clippers routed the Sacramento Kings 119-98 for their season-high fifth straight victory. Thank you very much. That was Yang Guang with Sports. Coming up in Culture and Entertainment, China's top internet trending terms for 2023. The world is about to change. Warriors, assassins, fair maidens, court officials, and even emperors and heavenly immortals are nothing but pawns on a giant chessboard. Xu Feng Nian, a playboy of national notoriety and heir to the empire's second most powerful man, finds himself embroiled in the depths of unbeatable game. CGTN Radio invites you to immerse in a world brimming with heroism and follow a young man's odyssey in the audio drama series, The Sword Strider Saga. Now available on radio.cgtn.com and all the major podcast platforms. When courage meets wisdom, the sword scribes an immortal legend.
53 minutes past the hour. Turning now to culture and entertainment. The National Language Resources Monitoring and Research Center has unveiled the top 10 Chinese internet trending terms of 2023. Terms on the list include Hangzhou Asian Game slogans at Future, uh, Intelligent Life, and Village Super League. Special Forces style travel, a hip way among young Chinese people to uh, make the best out of short holiday breaks, also makes the short list. The top 10 Chinese Chinese internet trending terms is part of the yearly uh, Chinese language review event. Uh, Shanghai's night schools become a new hotspot among young people. Over 9,000 students snagged seats in over 380 courses at the Mass Arts Center this past autumn, and more than 90% are people under the age of 30. Tang Xiaofan spoke to some of the students and tutors. A group of white-collar workers and college students arrive at the Mass Arts Center. Although they are busy during the day, they make time to attend a class at this night school. Here at school's main campus, 10 courses are underway, including dance, violin, Chinese opera, and sign language. A handpan course is on offer for the first time this semester. The course was so popular that all slots were taken up just two minutes after registration opened. The price of the night course is much lower than the market price. One handpan course usually costs around 560 yuan. The handpan was invented in 2000 and emerged in China about 10 years ago. So it's a niche instrument. It has become popular in recent years as its sound is very ethereal. These night courses have become very popular. When registration opened in August, 650,000 people were online trying to book a spot in the class. More than 9,000 slots in 382 courses are on offer this fall semester. 12 courses sold out within a minute. Data from the spring semester show that night courses are especially popular among younger people. Those born in the 1980s accounted for 39% of the places taken, while applicants born in the 1990s took 40%. The night school offers some lessons that are not available in other places. It's also a good chance for me to make more friends. It's great to learn something new rather than play with my phone or watch TV at home. It's an escape from the rat race to spend an hour and a half learning something interesting on weekdays. Nearly 450,000 people have enrolled in program throughout the past seven years. Wu Penghong, curator of the Shanghai Mass Art Center, is calling for more institutions to join the program to offer more cultural services for the public. We hope the night school program can help improve young and middle-aged people's cultural and art skills. Next, we will further expand to over 200 teaching locations. We will make our courses more diverse. We also plan to open lessons for expats, focusing on traditional Chinese culture and handicrafts. Many other cities across China have also introduced similar programs targeting younger people in recent years including Chengdu, Shenzhen, Guangzhou, and Luoyang. That was Tang Xiaofan in Shanghai. 
Hong Kong actress Kathy Chow, who's best known for her lead character Joe Giroux in the 1994 TVB series uh, The Heaven, Sword, and Dragon Saber, has died. She was 57. Uh, Chow's studio published a statement late Tuesday saying that she passed away due to illness without providing any further details. Reports say Chow had been suffering from lupus. Chow was a former Miss Hong Kong contestant and widely known for her leading roles in TVB dramas from the late 1980s to 1990s. Now, she moved to Beijing in 2002 and occasionally appeared in TV series and movies. Her last work was the 2022 action film Army Soul of the Han Dynasty. We're at 58 minutes past the hour. Checking the forecast before we go for the day, and uh, Beijing will have light snow overnight with a low of minus 5. Thursday, we'll see moderate snowfall and a high of minus 2. Chongqing's 12 this evening. Tomorrow, slight rainfall and 19 degrees. Last is down to minus 7, then Thursday has clouds and 6. Hong Kong's at 21 tonight. It'll be cloudy tomorrow in 25. Elsewhere, Tokyo's 5 degrees overnight. It's overcast in 14 on Thursday. Islamabad will be cloudy in 6 this evening, then overcast in 22. Bangkok's down to 26 degrees, then it's overcast in 34 on Thursday. In Africa, Nairobi's getting slight rainfall and a high of 24 degrees. And finally to Oceania, Sydney's at 24 this evening. Tomorrow's overcast with a high of 37. Auckland 16 overnight, then a slight rainfall and 19. And that's it for this edition of the Beijing Hour. Making news today, China and Vietnam have issued a joint statement on strengthening bilateral ties amid the Chinese president's state visit to the Southeast Asian country and the UN Climate Conference in Dubai's adopted a first-of-its-kind agreement. On behalf of the staff, this is Shane Bigham in the Chinese capital, hoping you'll join us for the next edition of the Beijing Hour and open a window to the world together.